on today's Coaching Coordinator Podcast, I have a repeat performer with us, but the last time he joined us was with our guest host, Joel Nellis, on our home team series. Uh, He's back again to give us a preview of what he's going to be talking about at the Illinois High School Football Coaches Association Clinic, which is December 8th through 12th. You can find that at ihsfca.coachesclinic.com, an incredible lineup uh, headlined by Mike Loxley and Pat Fitzgerald, and then just a ton of great college and high school coaches, including Coach Tim Rackey, who's the head football coach at Nazareth Academy. Coach, thank you for joining me here on the podcast. Keith, thanks for having me. I'm glad uh, glad to be back, man. So uh, we were talking before we got going, and, and I believe you know you haven't been able to get back out on the field since you talked to Joel, which was early last uh, off season, early in 2020 and uh you know just a strange year here but um you guys uh for our audience out there coach has won seven state championships four of those were at driscoll high school three at nazareth academy where he's at right now uh his record is 98 and 48 overall and coach you've you've been known to uh to come into places and um, be able to turn things around and and that's kind of been the track record for you yeah it's really um you know, it's culture. Um, the one thing I'm good at, I like being the dumbest guy in the room on my staff. Um, and so I'm really good at, at getting assistance because I like, you know, I talk about shared vision with the players and it's no different for my staff. And I think guys enjoy coaching with me because I give them that, the freedom to, to do what they want. Now, you know, I, I oversee it, but um, when when you allow, because I've seen coaches that have been micromanagers and want their, their hand in everything, um, and I found it to be very successful when when you give guys that ownership of, say, special teams or offense or a position group to where they have a voice on the staff. And that has really, really bode well uh, for me personally as a head coach. Because And that's how – because that's uh, – you know, I, I had a fast track when I was a young coach. I was a defensive coordinator my second year as a coach, uh, you know, at my alma mater, and that's really unheard of these days. So I had to really learn on the fly and – so when I was a young defensive coordinator, the head coaches would always let me do what I wanted, and I really appreciated that. And that stuck with me all these years as a head coach. Coach, you've been able to to maintain that staff and, and keep a lot of guys together. I'm sure part of that that consistency that you've developed that allows you guys to be successful really comes from that philosophy of empowering these guys to do their jobs. Great. Yeah, Keith, great. I mean, exactly. Empower I do believe when you empower coaches, now it doesn't work out all the time, you know, and, and that's what I think they, I know that, you know, my staff respects that and guys that, um, you know, there, that there is a chain of command and that I will listen. But when there is a decision to be made and I make that decision, um, they're all pulling on the same rope. But I want that, you know, I want that war room, that, that game planning, practice planning. I want guys to challenge each other and to challenge me. And um, it's worked out real well. Well, it's funny because, you know, you do see those coaches who micromanage and, and I'm sure like early on in my career, I think when you're a younger coach, maybe that's the, the tendency to, to worry about letting too much control out. But, you know, we send players out on the field to do their jobs, you know, every single day, every single Friday night or Saturday afternoon, whenever it might be. And we trust them to go out and do their jobs. We ought to take that same approach with our coaching staff. Absolutely, and, and and again, and I and I know it's a direct effect of how I 
uh, how my career began and how I grew as a coach. And thankfully, you know, that, that evolved into me being, um, like I tell people, I said, you know, they're, you know, I used to think I was Bill Belichick and now my defensive coordinator who, who I, um, tutored who has passed me by on the tech scene. And he's just, he's amazing. He's phenomenal. Jeff Tumpain. Um, but that makes me proud. You know, it doesn't make me jealous. I'm like, that's better for the program that, um, you know, I had to, once I took off the training wheels and let him go and it was like, wow, he's really put, cause I wanted him. I want my guys to put their own thumbprint on if it's something that I used to do and they can do it better or they tweak it and they make it their, their own. I mean, it just, it's incredible for what it, a, what it does for staff chemistry and Keith, you know, once the players, if they see a, a cohesive tight staff, that's on the same page that have that passion, that um, have that trust to each other may, may not always agree, but there is a genuine um, bond amongst the staff that trickles down to your team. Absolutely. And I, I think the way you know, you're talking about your coach, you know, with the technology and just got me thinking a little bit about, uh, you know, you said something earlier, you know, the dumbest guy in the room. And, and I hear that phrase often from, from really good head coaches. And I think, you know, early on, I can think back to being a young coach and, you know, all eyes were on you and, and you feel like sometimes compelled that, geez, I got to be, I got to have all the answers. I got to do everything. But, you know, when you step aside from that and let it go, it really opens the doors for you as a coach, as a head coach at the top to, uh, to learn, right? That these guys now, as they're empowered to do more things and they're not just following orders that you've said, they're, they're going to go out and bring a lot of good stuff back into the program. You're going to have to filter through it as the head coach, but ultimately what's going to happen is you're going to learn as well. Absolutely. And and listen, it's not always easy. I mean, me, I gave up the defensive coordinator reins uh, partially when I was at Driscoll, when I was a a younger coach, I was having this wing T was just giving me fits. You know, we were at a smaller school. I was at a smaller school at the time. And, um, you know, and again, it just, you know, it's a, it's a blow to your pride, but I, I was also, you know, he's a, even as a football player, selfless. So I brought on this guy on staff way back when, and he was uh, just excellent at defending wing T triple option stuff. And so he was, I named him the DC, even though I worked really closely with, closely with him. And I just, I didn't, it was something I, I'm like, I can't do this. I, I need to call the defense. So I took it back. Um, and then I took, you know, I've been the defensive coordinator here when I, and the head coach when I came to Nazareth. And I lost a guy, and then you know that's another thing. You know, all the guys, the majority of great guys that I've lost have either became head coaches, which I love, you know, or they are assistants and they become defensive coordinators at other schools. And I didn't want to lose my guy, so I knew instead of you know, I didn't want to lose my top guy who I taught all these years. So making him the defensive coordinator, and even and it was difficult, man. But then after a year. Um, once you do that, and I, and I tell this to all young head coaches, I'm like, man, when you, it's going to suck when you give up the reins because you're going to feel a little lost, but you're going to know, I mean, being, being able to be in the special teams room, the offensive room, the defensive room. So when you're on the sidelines and, you know, all head coaches have been through this, when you're a coordinator and you're on the bench and somebody's saying, hey, it's uh, fourth down, what do you want to do here? And you're, you're snapping your head, you're running at the sidelines, looking at the down and distance. Um, so being, being a head coach, overseeing everything in the program has really served me well, even though it was a hard transition. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. Well, I, I've been there before and I think, you know, when you do that, 
you know, become that, that walking around coach who gets to see a little bit of everything, uh, you start to get a little bit of that peace of mind that things are working together. And when you see something that maybe is, uh, is, is not cohesive with other things you're doing, you know, you're able to solve those problems really quick. So you just move into a, a different type of role and, uh, you know, make some of those bigger picture decisions than maybe you were before when you were entrenched in just seeing one side of the ball. Oh, you, Keith, you just nailed it. That's per- exactly, that's exactly it. Because then you get the flow of the game. You get to see, you know, if you want, you know, is this the time to, to you know, uh, to, for the, the fake punt or an onside kick or going for it on fourth down? How's the momentum? You're what, you know, I'm really good at watching the offensive line, how our mojo's going uh, defensively, you know, if we should be in prevent or should we, you know, uh, help with, it just, it does. Uh, you, the, your overall, um, it just gives you a lot more clarity when you're watching the flow of the game and your players in each phase of the game. It, it really is a difference maker. Yeah, I, I can remember for a long time uh, growing up, I, I followed Jim Tressel's career. Uh, he was a Baldwin-Wallace grad. I went to BW. Uh, you know, he was at Youngstown State, and then, then obviously he got on the big stage at Ohio State. And, you know, back at that time, I loved just watching – how he would manage a football game. There was nothing flashy about it. Like the scores weren't overwhelming. You didn't see these gaudy offensive performances necessarily, but you know, he managed a team and managed games all the way to a national championship. And uh, I think, you know, in in some ways it's a little bit of a lost art. I see more and more guys now kind of keying in on um, some of the analytics and helping that them to understand those big picture decisions. So I think it's, it's kind of coming back to something that coaches are doing a little bit more, but you know, we kind of got into that up-tempo uh, mode where you know you thought the way was just to always go fast. And so some of the game management type things, I, I think, got kicked to the wayside. But I think I'm starting to see that trend back and, and head coaches looking at some of those things a lot more. Yeah, yes, spot on. And that, that's the thing, you know, in, because the game is – is always evolving. It's funny because in, I used to when I uh, was the you know the defensive coordinator. I I came across you know I ran the the three five. I didn't even I didn't or the three stack what they call it now. I could have made a, a gazillion dollars. I was running that in ninety seven, nineteen ninety seven. I found it in a, a Texas A and M some manual by um, Jerry Campbell, and he had these he had like uh, five linebackers and the, there was an X behind. I'm like, I've never seen this before. So I call it the X defense because I stole it from that little book. And then before you knew it, you know, it became the flavor of the month. You know, it was, I call it the three, five and now people call it the three, three stack or whatever you want to call it. But now, like you're saying with offensive football, where it, then it was, you know, fast paced, no huddle, catch the defense on their heels. And then defenses started catching up to that. It's just, it's, it's so cool how the game evolves and you have to, keep up with that to see you know how you can make an advantage for your team with with whatever's you know working out there and that's what i tell everybody which you know keith i mean coaching is all stealing you know i mean it's like you know, nobody invented you know you could say you know just like i could say you know hey i, I was the first one running the three five no i stole it from uh, jerry campbell <laughs> i found it in his texas a&m playbook and i just adopted it because i had small mean linebackers and i had no defense alignment <laughs> With uh, you know, brought up the word evolution here, and that's kind of one of your topics, or that is you know part of your main topic here for uh, your coaches clinic. And you know, I want to give our listeners an overview of what you're going to be presenting. But um, 
kind of the main thing is dealing with failure, but for you, that involved you evolving as a coach to be able to understand some of these things better to understand your players better. Exactly. You know, and I think we get this perception where, you know, you look at, um, you know, when we look at these, uh, you know, you talk about Trestle, um, you know, you could talk about uh, any legendary coach um, and you think that they're always doing the same thing. And maybe back in the day they did, but, you know, once I really did a self-reflection when I was doing this clinic um, and I was doing it on, on dealing with failure with players, but it brought me back to, wow, because I went back to how I used to be, you know, and I'm talking when we were successful, right? you know, I, 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 and I, when, when in 2001, in the late nineties, when I was a younger coach, I was, I was fiery, man. I was hard on my players. They took it. They knew I loved them. But back then, you know, it was just a different time and it was a different type of kid you know, where they, they responded to it. And, and, you know, I did a lot of conditioning and negative reinforcement. And, um, you know, I was just a very uh, passionate, uh, you know, to, to some degrees to a fall type of a coach, but it worked as, as I have evolved, you know, and I realized, you know, I always love my players because, you know, I never wanted to be, cause we all remember that coach in our life. And, you know, I know Jorman talks about this. He, he's outstanding. I read his book. But, you know, you remember whether it's that older player or that coach that shamed you, that never complimented you, that was just, you know, just a jerk, you know, a son of a bitch. And I never wanted to be that coach because I remembered those guys. You know, I always remember the guys, those influences in my life going back to youth football that were positive but tough. You know, they had a sense of discipline. They weren't, but they were fair. But you knew that they cared about you and they loved you. So, you know, as, as I evolved from being that fiery guy, even though my players back then knew that I loved them, um, I saw as I was getting older, you know, that approach didn't always work because, you know, I never wanted a kid leaving with his head down after practice. I'm like, man, and that's when I started researching and noticing youth programs and, and, and where parents and even myself, I have two boys you go to these practices and the parents are always there. You know, I don't see any kids playing on their own in the park rarely anymore. Um, except maybe high school kids, seven on seven, but you lose that sense of, of growing, you know, becoming a leader and dealing with failure. And, and I think that gets lost on, on a lot of coaches that the, the kids that were coaching, they don't stay the same. They're not the same as they were in the seventies, certainly in the eighties, nor the nineties. And so I think it's important to know who you're coaching, which goes to relationship building. And so I think that whole evolution as a coach, being self-aware of who you are and how you can uh, affect kids and, and be, be able to make a difference with them and also improve them as football players and young men goes a long way when, when you do that self-reflection and research in terms of how you can become better each and every year, regardless of what your record is or how many titles you have won or not won. Yeah, it's interesting you, you bring up you know, the, the difference of uh, the kids and their experiences today with sports compared to you know, what, what you and I have. We're about the same age. I think you're 52. I'm 50. And you know, yeah. there, there, there wasn't a lot of uh, the organized sport. I mean, within, you know, your community, I mean, you might have, uh, you know, six or eight game football season and it was all with teams right around you. And, 
you know, now it's traveling and tournaments and, you know, uh, very organized for the kids. And you and I used to just go out on a ball field or in the street and yeah. uh, there, yeah. there were no officials there. There were no parents watching and, you know, we figured it out ourselves and, you know, sometimes have our nose bloodied or whatever it might be. Right, exactly, <laughs> right. Uh, that these kids just don't have uh, those experiences today. And it's and that's the thing, and that's when I went back to I'm like, you know, it's not these kids' fault. You know, you, a coach is saying, you know, well, you know, when I was younger, that's not going to help them. <laughs> they don't, you know, they can give a they can give a care about what you know you went through. It's just like when we were younger, we didn't, you know, in, because I it was the same thing with water back then. You know, like we, even when I was in high school, I played college football. There's water all around. I'm like, oh my god, I went to he- football heaven. And now it's like hydration. So it's just how everything evolves with the game and especially with leadership. And and I think that starts, I know it starts with the head coach to where, you know, my leadership style has evolved and changed. I continue to, to research. I continue to fail. And, and the other big thing is I think being accountable because when you and I were growing up, you know, we'd get your ass chewed by your coach. You get that finger pointed at you all the time as a team or, you know, it was always, you know, your fault, your fault, or well, we got to do better. And what I found, and this was um, probably around a little after I got here at Nazareth, was when I was starting myself to be accountable. So, for example, and I still do this to this day, is um, at a film session, whether it be good or those ugly ones that, you, that the teams have to go through, I'll address the, the entire staff and our squad, the players, and go over what I failed at during the game what i am accountable for what i have to get better at and as, as a coach you know there's many things that miss calls time management uh you know bad play call um you know going for it when you shouldn't go for it knowing field situation all that stuff that uh there's just so many things that we fail at as coaches when i started doing that even at practices i would do that like hey guys i could have done better at this or if i got on a kid and i didn't mean to i'll put and i'll publicly apologize to him give him a hug in front of the team when your players see that you're being accountable that you're not perfect that you're going to fail i think that gives them a lot more freedom to relax and enjoy the game more and say hey you know even coach messes up so i'm not you know they're not going to be afraid to make those mistakes or getting uh, screamed at all the time uh, that's, I think, a very interesting approach, and and certainly, um, I think when you're talking about buy-in, and it's a, you know, it's about we, it's about us, and the coach is the one who takes that lead. I think that's a very powerful thing. So uh, everybody doesn't do that, though. Uh, that might be you know, new to uh, some of the coaches out there. I guess any tips in in your approach to that, how you get that started. Um, you know, I could think if you haven't been doing that and all of a sudden you do that, uh, it might it might be a, a shock to the team and, you know, I guess best practices in, in being able to Im- implement something like that. Well, yeah, and that's the hardest thing as coaches, you know, and even as players, it's, it's called vulnerability. And uh, for some reason, my entire career, because I have such a hype, you know, I've loved this sport, you know, just, just like you, Keith, all of us guys doing this. We wouldn't, We have a, such a passion for the sport, and I've I've loved football since even before I could join organized youth balls. You know, when I was eight years old. So, you know, loving the sport so much, and you want to just succeed and give back to it because we can't play anymore. 
being vulnerable, I'm more transparent with my teams. Sometimes I am at home, which is not a good thing either. I mean, I'm, you know, I work on that, but my team knows, and cause I throw it out there, mistakes I've made as a man when I was a young man, but not even now off the field, I'm talking, talk about mistakes I made uh, when I played. So being vulnerable and open and, and transparent with your team and they can see that you're, that you're, you're a normal guy and that you, you have their best interest and that you're not perfect, I think goes a long way. So getting back to your point, I think, you know, just a coach that's not used to that, I, I, would, I would just say you bring up accountability. You define accountability. What is accountability? And then as a coach, how can you be accountable? And, and then when you talk about failures, guys, we're all going to fail. The film is going to help us. We should fail at practice. Failure is information. So then you can start saying, hey, first of all, because, you know, kids are going to cringe. You know, I used to cringe when you're watching a film. You don't want to see, you know, getting pancaked or, or burned for a touchdown or missing a tackle. But it happens at every level of football. So then you could start with accountability saying it's going to happen. How can we learn from it? Here's what I did wrong as a head coach. I burned all our timeouts, you know, just using because there's going to be examples, whether you're a, a coordinator or a position coach or a head coach, every coach is going to make, uh, you know, mistakes, whether it be at practice and especially during a 48 minute high school football game. So I think it's, it's easier than people think uh, coaches think to, to open that door where you, you don't have to spill your guts. If you're not comfortable talking about your personal life with your team, that's fine. But you can certainly, if if you want them to, if they're playing scared or you want them to play faster, well, you know, and not to be afraid to fail, then show how you fail and how you can respond to that. And that in turn will help them instead of just telling them, you know, it's almost, hey, I do it too. Here's my examples. Now let's look at the film and how can you get better? So it'll almost even increase their awareness of instead of being afraid of saying, oh, shit, I'm going to be, here comes my, my play, here comes my play. And, you know, they'd be like, just get it over with, just get over with. Now it slows them down to think of okay now how did that happen what can i do what can i learn from that failure to become better next time now coach is that something that uh, your assistant coaches your coordinators do too oh absolutely yeah i make sure you know i have so i have a a couple old school guys that i have to rein in every now and then um but they have adopted it because, you know, like I said, because the guys that don't, and that's the great thing about being a head coach, they don't last long. And I've had low turnover on my staff, but when I see guys that are not adopting to my same philosophy, again, not being me, but I don't, I don't want you sitting there shaming a kid for 30 minutes in the film room. Um, you know, I want, I want it to, it's a, it's a classroom. I want, I want that kid to come out of there learning something. Now, if the language gets salty and, you know, if they're, if they're loafing, cause the one thing for me is effort and that's a different thing. But yeah, there's my, my staff is on board with that stuff. They, they, they know my philosophy. Coach, I, I love that approach to it. And that's going to be part of your talk at the Illinois high school football coaches association clinic. As we've mentioned, uh, what are some of the other topics that you're going to cover in that talk? Well, first of all, I'm hoping that, um, you know, that the coaches will understand. And I think because I've been blessed with success as a coach um, throughout my career, that they'll understand, I think, really taking that, um, being self-aware of who they are, who they were, who they want to be. Um, because I think if you stay the same, 
or if you're not open to new ideas, um, I just think that's going to leave you in a stagnant position as a coach. And, and I, I think it, it does, it serves me well because I could sit, you know, people can look at my record and be like, wow, so this guy won a lot of titles. Well, yeah, I've won a lot of titles, but I've never been the same coach for each one of those seasons. I've evolved. I evolve and I adapt to each. I look at each of my football teams in my entire career. They're, they're almost like children. And I thought this even before I had children to where each kid you have, and I know fathers can relate to this, they're going to be completely different. And that's no different. It's a great analogy for a football team because each football team I've had, they're like a, they're like a kid. No, no, no team is ever the same. So you have to adapt your style, your leadership, and who you are, and and sometimes take risks and, like I said, become vulnerable to tap into what's going to make this, what's going to get bring this team together. You know, what type of team do I have? Are they are they a loud group? Or do they require a lot of discipline? Do I have a lot of leadership? So I think that you know, first of all, evolving as a coach and looking at your career, I think that's going to serve you well and how you approach each team each different year. And with that, I think also is the, the leadership piece. So, um, the, I'm sorry, the leadership, leadership piece is, is a, a huge one, but I, I tie it more into coaching failure. So, uh, for instance, you know, a lot of these, um, let's take the studs on your team. Um, a lot of those kids are not used to dealing with failure so they could be the best ones when they're in youth ball and then people start to catch up and then you know they're they're used to getting praise all the time and all of a sudden they start feeling that pressure because then they get to high school and as you know earlier and earlier these colleges are recruiting these kids so they're getting pressure from home you know they're out the colleges are already looking at them when they're sophomores or even freshmen now in high school so that pressure heightens the, to where they think oh man if i drop a ball if i fumble i gotta you know i gotta rush for 200 i gotta get uh, 10 pancakes you know I, I gotta get good film that really tightens them up where they're afraid to fail on the field and with that it's just it's a it's something that i've seen just destroy kids and that's why i really did some heavy heavy research into you know, how do you teach failure? You know, how do you um, prepare kids for failure? How do you, more importantly, when they fail, how do you help them work through that? And so I'm, you know, I, I, I discuss various techniques that I've adapted and tried with not just the whole team. You know, I do that, but then also whether it's position groups, but also one-on-one, -on -one, whether it's that kid who's just on special teams or that kid who, who's on uh, the scout teams and he doesn't see a lot of reps on Friday night you know, that kid who's maybe failing during practice, giving him um, some tips and keys for, so he knows that his importance on this team in preparing us for, for that game to where it's all about all of us. So addressing that with each different um, whatever level, uh, whatever level they're at skill-wise um, has gone a long way for me. You know, not just dealing with your studs, but, you know, those middle-tier guys that get some reps here, and, and especially the, the kids at the bottom third end of the roster that just want to be on a football team and improve and contribute in some way. Well, Coach, you've shared a lot of great information here today, and I always like to finish with uh, one question here. And, and looking at all the things you do, and, and maybe it's just emphasizing something you've already talked about here, but 
what would be the one thing you'd point to as, as being the most important thing you do as a coach to give your team the winning edge? Okay. Yeah. You know, I'm going to, uh, um, yeah, since I've talked about the, the leadership piece already and the dealing with fa- failure evolving as a coach, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to go to X's and O's here. Cause there was one thing that I, you know, aside from picking a good staff that I'm very, that I think I can pat myself on the back about, and that's, um, uh, scripting, um, organizing and conducting a practice. Um, I think it's, it's imperative. And I know a lot of coaches, you put a lot of time into practice. My practices, um, and again, it depends on my team because people will be like, oh, how long do you practice? Well, you know what? That goes back to what type of a team do I have? I've had, in 2014, I had a loaded team. We would practice an hour and 20 minutes. We went undefeated that year. And it was, you know, an like, hour and 20 minutes. Jeez, how, how do you get anything done? Well, you know, these kids responded. I knew we were good. Um, they practiced fast. They did everything I asked. I mean, we started off like cutting off periods, like, oh, we're good, you know, and, or the coordinator would be, my offense coordinator would be like, no, coach, we're good. We still have six minutes on, in the period left. So practicing fast with a purpose, um, because I'm very energetic on the field. I don't like to be bored, and I certainly don't want my kids to be bored, and I certainly don't like downtime at practice or long indie lines or anything like that. So um, if there's one thing that I would tell coaches, I'm really constructing those practices throughout the week to make sure every second counts. And more importantly, don't just practice just because you think you have to practice. Whether, you know, if you, like this past year's team, we were um, a two-hour team. Two hour, after two hours, they checked out. So it's just funny. I've been tracking that with, uh, you know, practices. In my early career, when I was at Driscoll, we were winning. Those were three-hour practice, sometimes three-hour more than three hours when I was a younger coach. So I'm never, you know, when coaches ask me how long practice is going to be or kids say, I just say until until we get it, even though I have it scripted, because it could be a little longer, it could be a little shorter, you know, depending if it's a slowdown period. But most of our periods are high tempo, let's get after it, and it goes by fast. And before they, before you know it, the kids know that they're, um, you know, they're headed home because it's uh, it goes like light speed. It's not one of those drag-on practices, uh, regardless of the time. Coach, for uh, our listeners out there who might want to connect with you or might have some questions, what's the best way for them to connect? Email would be uh, the best way. My email is tracky, it's one word, T-R-A-C-K-I, at nazarethacademy.com. Nazareth Academy is one word, too, N-A-Z-A-R-E-T-H, academy.com. Coach, I'm looking forward to seeing your clinic, as I said, at uh, the Illinois High School Football Coaches Association. Again, coaches go to register there. An incredible lineup. It's ihsfca.coachesclinic.com. I'll have that link in our show notes as well. Coach, thank you for taking the time and uh, be seeing you pretty quickly here in the, in the future at the clinic. You guys are the best, always, Keith. Thank you for having me again. Thank you again for listening to the Coaching Coordinator Podcast. Please, if you are enjoying the podcast, head over to iTunes or Spotify and click five-star for a rate. If you have a minute, write a review. It really helps the podcast. Check out our new home for the Coaching Coordinator Podcast. That's at coachandcoordinator.com. And follow me on Twitter at Coach K. Grabowski.